Hello, and welcome to the Boring Bible Podcast. I'm Noah Randolph. And I'm Ashley Wakefield. And we're here to take you on a journey through the boring parts of your Bible, books that you just couldn't finish when you tried to read them. Together, I hope we'll get to see some of the hidden beauty in these books, and maybe afterwards you'll love them too. But if not, that's okay. You will still get to tell your friends you got through them and have full bragging rights to your pastor. Just don't let it go to your head. So let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of the Boring Bible Podcast. I'm Noah Randolph, teaching pastor here at Wayfarers Christian Church, and I've got with me in the studio Ashley Wakefield. Hi, everybody. Hey, Ashley. We've been working through the uh, book of Isaiah, chapter by chapter, uh, and we are now at chapter 32. Um, I'm really excited with this um, last little section that we're in right now. Um, some people actually say that the section um, is the section of two cities, and we're looking at some cities that are uh, destructive cities and uh, really doing things poorly, and we're looking at cities that are going to be uh, revived and renewed by God and uh, it's sort of the showing of these different outcomes of cities in the section. And I don't know if I mentioned that in the podcast before this one. So I just wanted to kind of remind you of where we are. If you see a lot of references to cities in these chapters that we're going through right now, um, that's probably why. the They say that it starts at chapter 28 and works its way all the way through chapter 34. So um, keep that in mind as you're going through these, um, even backtracking through some of the episodes that we've done. Um, there's definitely probably some references to cities in all of these chapters that is probably going to stand out so and we definitely see that today here um, this is an interesting chapter because there's really two separate thoughts that I'm not even going to try and meld together um, I think that uh verses one through eight are their own separate thought and then verses nine to the end of the chapter and verse 20 is its own separate thought um, there's definitely some themes that probably over overlay each of these individual sections but uh, for the most part we're probably going to just take a very hard cut um, at verse eight and then talk about some of the new ideas that are happening from verses nine and following. So yeah, it's going to be a great chapter. Um, we get to see a little bit more of the personal um, perspective of the women of Jerusalem in this chapter, which will be really fun. And we also get to see a little bit of um, a Messiah prophecy at the very beginning. Um, and I haven't really talked about, well, maybe I have in a couple others, but Messiah basically just means uh, the Lord's anointed. Uh, and uh, just kind of a reminder for anyone uh, that been going through this book, a huge theme throughout the entire Old Testament is that we are looking at um, the failure of Israel to be a blessing to the world. And one of the promises that the prophets continually make is that despite the failure of Israel and the country of Judah, um, uh, there's going to come this Messiah King who will basically do everything that Israel was supposed to do, and he will bring about life uh and bring about um, renewal to the people of Israel, but also to the rest of the world. And that's definitely a theme that we see here in chapter 32. So those are just some beginning kind of things to keep an eye on. And uh, Ashley, did you have any thoughts before we jump into this passage? 
Um, you pretty much said it all, except for you. You told me you wanted me to say this, so I will say it okay, on the podcast. Because <laughs> uh, you asked me what my thoughts were on the passage, and I said it was very good newsy. <laughs> <laughs> and so that's just, that's basically how I describe it. It's like good newsy. It's like very gospel like. Yeah, and I think that's a great point to bring up too. Uh, is I uh I sometimes think that uh the the gospel sometimes gets allocated to the. Old, uh, New Testament, you know, and doesn't get brought up at n- enough in the Old Testament. And so anytime we get to point out that an Old Testament chapter is good newsy, uh, I, I love to bring that up. So, yeah. And I love that word. So that's why I made <laughs> you say it. <laughs> All right, guys, let's jump into this chapter. See, a king will reign in righteousness and rulers will rule with justice. Each one will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm like streams of water in the desert and the shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. Then the eyes of those who see will no longer be closed and the ears of those who hear will listen. The fearful heart will know and understand and the stammering tongue will be fluent and clear. No longer will the fool be called noble nor the scoundrel be highly respected. For fools speak folly, their hearts are bent on evil. They practice ungodliness and spread error concerning the Lord. The hungry they leave empty, and from the thirsty they withhold water. Scoundrels use wicked methods. They make up evil schemes to destroy the poor with lies, even when the plea of the needy is just. But the noble make noble plans, and by noble deeds they stand. You women who are so complacent, rise up and listen to me. You daughters who feel secure, hear what I have to say. In little more than a year, you who feel secure will tremble. The grape harvest will fail, and the harvest of fruit will not come. Tremble, you complacent women. Shudder, you daughters who feel secure. Strip off your fine clothes and wrap yourself in rags. Beat your breasts for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vines, and for the land of my people, a land overgrown with thorns and briars. Yes, mourn for all houses of merriment and for this city of revelry. The fortress will be abandoned, the noisy city deserted. Citadel and watchtower will become a wasteland forever. The delight of donkeys, a pasture for flocks, till the spirit is poured on us from on high and the desert becomes a fertile field. And the fertile field seems like a forest. The Lord's justice will dwell in the desert. His righteousness live in the fertile field. The fruit of that righteousness will be peace, Its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. My people will live in peaceful dwelling places, in secure homes, in undisturbed places of rest. Though hail flattens the forest and the city is leveled completely, how blessed you will be, sowing your seed by every stream and letting your cattle and donkeys range free. All right, so uh, we open this chapter up with a king who's going to reign in righteousness, which, like Ashley was saying earlier, is a good newsy kind of vibe for the first time since we've uh, been going through this section. And we're not opening with a judgment section, but actually a nice uh, opening of promise and hope, which I love to get to chapters like this. Um, They give us a little bit of a breather from all the (laughs) destruction that's going to happen. Although we're still going to kind of deal with some of that throughout the rest of this. Um, One of the things that I've found really meaningful in these first couple verses um, is actually the second line in that first verse, which is that the rulers will rule with justice. And I love this metaphor of these rulers being like 
people that will be like a shelter from the uh, wind and a refuge from the storm. And uh, it's something that uh, I've wanted to emulate in my own life. I have no idea if I actually am able to be this, but um, being a leader in a church, I've felt that call to be someone that's like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm mm-hmm. uh, and kind of emulate that kind of uh, beautiful metaphor. And I just challenge each of you to, if you're a leader in a church somewhere and listening to this, really think about, are you someone that's a shelter for people from the winds of their struggles in the world? And are you someone that's a refuge from the storms of this world? You know, uh, I think there's a huge, uh, sometimes I just rag on uh positive, encouraging uh, music all the time that we sometimes listen to. But uh, one of the things I've noticed has been that uh, in a lot of worship music, they call to God to sort of get them through storms and winds and Mm -hmm. struggles. And what I love about this is the opening is that these rulers will actually be a shelter and a refuge from the storm. And it's not just God that's going to be this, but it's going to be these people in authority over other people that will be that. And I just can imagine a, a realm in a country where people that our leaders are are just as uh, much a shelter and refuge uh, for other people as God is. And I don't know, I see that as a very beautiful opening to all of this. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And I also think that not to put too much pressure on yourself to do this would be to think of it as not as doing something really, really big as I think when people think about helping others or being a shelter for them, or even the concept of miracles, they think about something huge. But I think of it this way, like, for example, with miracles, it's like, you know, to a homeless person, a hot meal is a miracle, you know? So Mm. it's like, you know, not thinking too big, like you have to do something huge or extraordinary, but sometimes it's just simple things that can protect people, that can be somebody saving grace, so, you know. Yeah, yeah, no, there's, it's, doesn't actually require a lot yeah. to be this kind of shelter, uh, which I think I think is a great point to bring up. Um, we have then an l- interesting bit where it talks about the eyes of those who see will no longer be closed, which can sound kind of silly on the front end of it. Like, how can eyes that uh, see, like it's for some reason that this verse didn't make sense to me when I first read it. But I think what's uh, happening here is this, this kind of metaphor of eyes that aren't blind but they've just closed Mm -hmm. um, because they're unwilling to actually open their eyes um, and actually see what God's doing um, which has definitely kind of been a theme of the entirety of Isaiah is it's not that they're like blind innately it's that they are willfully closing their eyes to what God's actually doing um, and that they're stopping up their ears, um, which is kind of a theme that will get replayed in um, one of my favorite stories in scripture um, is in Acts 7 when Stephen um, is uh, arrested and taken before the Jewish ruling council. It's really interesting what Luke does in that um, book. He kind of plays Stevens's trial in very much the same literary fashion as Jesus's trial. And he's kind of setting Stephen up to be sort of like a, a, a Jesus like story in a way. It's really interesting. Just a lot of the same accusations that the Jews bring against Jesus at his trial are kind of mapped onto um, Stephen's story, but that's just a kind of side note. Um, I won't go all the way into that, but what I have found really interesting is that there is a part in it where Stephen basically accuses the Jewish ruling council of stopping up their ears and Mm -hmm. um, closing their eyes. Uh, And that's definitely sort of 
calling them back. I think even to this verse, and there are many verses all throughout the Old Testament where God says this kind of thing to Israel. And so there's a lot of, I guess, history in this verse that um, it's not just a metaphor, but it's also something that's uniquely tied to the entire story of Israel. Uh, I was actually listening to a podcast the other day that was talking about how um, the name Israel means one who wrestles with God. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, you can look at the story of Israel as sort of that like it's a constant wrestling with god of god wants them to do things and they're wrestling with that and not really wanting to do it and you know they're willfully stubborn in a huge way and so they're kind of living up to their name almost which uh it's just you know part of their story overall so that's just something i wanted to kind of pause and take a brief little moment to kind of look at that and just see that this is kind of one of those statements this kind of supposed to remind us of that struggle so to speak and speaking of that um it reminds me of something else that happened in the new testament because wasn't it i don't know if it was stevens but it may have been um a sermon that peter was actually preaching where the jewish leaders were present and they were literally stopping their ears so they couldn't hear it i don't know if that was was that peter? no that was uh that was uh, um uh i think that was stephen Oh, that was that, Stephen. That was Stephen. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. yeah, because yeah. he says uh, he says the something about Jesus, and they literally stop up there, stop up their ears, and take him out and stone him. I think that's like the very next line as they stop up their ears and then they stone him. Gotcha. So oh, I think okay. that's what I was remembering uh, from that passage. <laughs> yeah. So you yeah. got it. You got it. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this verse um, between verses three and five, I think specifically oh, the one about the stammering tongue in verse four, I think that was a reference back to Isaiah twenty-eight, if I'm not mistaken, that oh. chapter that we read when we were reading about the prophets and the priests who were getting drunk and there was vomit on the table. And so it was like the idea that at this point in time that God's going to bring them to a place where now they have basically a sober, sober priest, sober prophets who are speaking the words of the Lord. So they're not speaking gibberish that people can't understand or speaking lies or actually speaking the truth of the Lord so that people are being fed with what they need to be fed with. So that was, I get that. Yeah. I can see that kind of being a reference there. I will say that, uh, that stammering tongue is kind of meant, um, in, uh, Hebrew poetry, Mm -hmm. two lines are always meant to like sort of reveal more about the thing. Mm -hmm. So the stammering tongue line is supposed to tie into the fearful heart line. Like Mm -hmm. those two are kind of meant to be one idea. Um, and so I do think that there is a bit of a, uh, reference to Moses actually in this too, where, um, Moses is, uh, refusing to do what God tells him to do at the burning bush because he has a stammering tongue basically, and, uh, has a very fearful heart about, uh, doing what God calls him to do. So I do think that there's a little bit of that also at play here along with what you're saying. But, uh, yeah, I I think that, um, that's a great point to bring up with Isaiah 28. Um, we also move to um, verse 5 where uh, they uh, we get to see that the fool finally is taken care of, which um, if you're reading this in the Hebrew order, Proverbs is not uh, uh, the a book that you would have read yet. Uh, most of the prophets would have been read. And then Proverbs actually is one of the second book in the last uh, section of their Hebrew Bible. And it would have been right after Psalms, after you've kind of gone through all of these prophetic books. Um, but um, their idea of uh, there being a fool and uh, being a scoundrel um, is definitely prevalent through the prophetic books and to the earlier Pentateuch. A lot of the uh, uh, accusations God makes against um 
uh, people that are wicked is often labeled as foolish. Um, and we get to see sort of this beautiful uh, reversal of the world kind of values people that are fools and is kind of easily uh, tricked by them. Um, they're able to... Um, you use a clever speech and clever ways of um, setting traps for foes and things like that. And they're able to really gain a following. And we get to see this beautiful scene where the king comes and the rulers that are actually upright and just, just come and they get to um, uh, remove those people from the earth basically. And there's no longer any worry about people, um, being scheming and using this type of ungodliness or even like spreading errors about God and saying false things about God. And a lot of the foolish talk of this kind of generation is going to be removed, um, which is a beautiful image when you think about it. I can't, I can't even imagine a world where stupid people don't exist, you know, like, like, and I mean that in a, not in a pejorative way, I guess, but just in a way of like people that are thinking of, um, things in a very clever and scheming and maniacal and trying to always like one up another person. That's what I mean by stupid people, I guess is those types of people that are always comparing themselves to other people and trying to climb up the ladder and be the best that they can be. Those types of people being removed, you know, I can see that as, um, just a beautiful world to live in where those people are no longer around, you know? Yeah. I kind of like that cross reference to verse six. It cross references actually the book of Proverbs in 19 and three, where it says mm -hmm. a person's own folly leads to their ruin, yet their heart rages against the Lord. So it's like the idea that your own foolishness is ruining your life, but yet you're blaming God for it as if he's the one punishing you. And it's right. like, you know, it's like your own foolish actions and your own foolish words are the thing ruining your life, not me. So, yeah. Yeah. And you can see like even in verse seven, the focus is on scoundrels that like destroy the poor with lies. Like mm -hmm. there's a very heavy focus on it. The foolish people are the ones that are like using the poor to their own advantage mm -hmm. in a huge way. Um, and then you have this last little line, which um, the NIV translates this as noble. But I looked up a couple of uh, just different ways that this word is used in the Hebrew and noble can also mean like generous and like there's an there's kind of an implied um, the generous man or the good man that's like going to give instead of take. Um, yeah, kind I of, think the word they used there was like liberal. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. The liberal meaning like the the free freely giving um, per man or something like that. Yeah, I, I like that word a lot better. I like that translation. What translation is that? Um, I was looking at um, Strong's, the KGV Strong's. Oh, okay. Uh, Strong's Dictionary. So I was looking it up in the uh, Hebrew to see what it was saying. So it uses the word liberal and translates it to a word that I cannot pronounce in Hebrew. I don't know <laughs> if you can pronounce that. I don't know. Uh, it, let's see. Uh, I've got it here. It is Nadiv, Nadiv, um, which is uh, uh, one of those fun little Hebrew Hebrew pronunciation words. But um, yeah, Nadiv. Um, they, uh, I lost my train of thought there. Uh, oh yeah. So yeah, no, it's not just about being noble. It's also uh, about being someone that's... Um, 
giving, you know, and that's kind of what this whole segment is about is that people that are taking um, and take from other people, especially from the poor, will be removed. And um, the only people that will be left are people that are giving freely to other people and that are willing to give. And I, I love that kind of ending to this first section here. We then get an interesting jump to um, verse nine, which is a completely new f- separate thought, uh, which is talking about um, the women of Jerusalem. And I do think that there is some kind of relation to kind of the wealth and giving of uh, the noble in this last verse to the fact that oftentimes uh, women actually manage the finances in this um, environment. Uh, women were the ones that kind of managed the bank accounts. Um, they kind of looked at and there weren't banks, but you get the idea. And uh, they often were the ones that were man- managing all the servants and uh, they would often send servants to buy different things. And so they kind of handled the wealth of this world and the husband in this kind of context just kind of uh, got to uh, use whatever money the uh, wife would kind of allocate to him. And so he would, you know, buy things based off of her kind of budgeting system and things of that nature. So I do see this kind of interesting that we kind of jump from the section on people giving to other people is what's going to be left in the land to women that have obviously enjoyed some type of luxury and wealth you know they're enjoying this um, the farms and the grapes and all this different types of stuff and they they feel very secure in this type of life and it's sort of isaiah's wake-up call to that type of life saying don't rely on this forever and all of your budgeting and your planning and your um Uh, looking to uh, this type of thing to keep you safe is not going to be around forever. Um, And I know I don't, I I've heard some people say that like it tends to be that uh, women rely a lot more on like security. I don't know, Ashley, if that's a thing that you've noticed or not, or if that's something you could speak to, but uh, at least I've heard people say that like women really value security a lot. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think women are attracted to security. And I know there's like, you know, the whole feminist thing with women, you know, basically providing for themselves and and creating security for themselves. But I do think even in that, I think it's also for women like that, I think it's still attractive for them to see another man who is providing and taking care of yourself, even if she doesn't need it, it's just an attractive quality. Mm, I think. I see. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. That makes sense. So there is this sense in which God's kind of hitting them right where they most desire, um, that themselves to feel secure, you know, hitting them in this sense of, uh, security of wealth. Um, and there's a couple verses here where they're, uh, God's asking them also to weep, which is also a trait that women of this culture tended to do. Um, the uh, women tended to be the ones that would weep um, for things that would come and go. And there's a lot of references in Scripture to women wailing for Jerusalem. And um, there's this kind of beautiful kind of imagery of um, the songs of women mourning over the fallen Jerusalem and stuff. Uh, and so we do have a sense in which that's what he's calling them to is look, this city is not going to be around forever. Um, You need to realize that what you're holding your security in is not uh, what you should be holding your security in even, and uh, that uh, you should be trusting in God, not in your wealth and not in what's uh, comfortable in your life right now. And so, um, again, remember I mentioned at the beginning of this that there is a focus on cities in this kind of section. And so we kind of see that at the end of, like, uh, verses 12 through 14 where um – 
you have like sort of this a fortress that will be abandoned in verse 14, the noisy city deserted, a citadel and a watchtower, all that's kind of city language. And we kind of are left with this really interesting um, ending of the city completely being demolished. But verse 15 kind of picks up and um, we get to see that it's not over and that um, the spirit is actually going to be poured out on high and revive a lot of the things that are destroyed. Um, And I don't know if I've talked about the spirit a lot on this podcast, but um, one of the Hebrew ideas with the spirit is that um, the spirit is more than just like this ghost that kind of lives inside of us. That's kind of how I always thought of the spirit growing up was just this sort of like immaterial sort of like ghost phantom that sort of resided inside of every person that was a believer or something like that. And that, I don't know, that was just the mental image I had in my head. But, um, after doing a lot of reading and listening to different sermons and different things like that, I've learned that, um, a lot of the way that the old Testament depicts the sermon is actually a bringer of life. And Mm -hmm. uh, the spirit is constantly involved in things of creating and, um, bringing new birth and new life to things and so that's why we have a desert which is dead there's absolutely no grass no anything and it becomes a fertile field as the spirit is coming and bringing life to that desert right Mm -hmm. Um, and it brings this kind of uh, new birth even to that and we begin to see sort of how that's going to happen that there's going to be justice in the desert and there's kind of a metaphor that's being played here the desert oftentimes represents like a place that's unjust, a place that's wild and chaotic and there's no order and people that are wicked get away with the things that they get away with. And so it's kind of this tie in that the spirit comes, brings life to the desert, but also kind of meant as a metaphor of like, Oh, the spirit's also bringing life to an unjust society, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and bringing justice to that society and bringing order and structure instead of chaos where everybody just gets, gets what they want, you know, and it's this kind of beautiful kind of duality of meaning there that you have in these couple verses where the spirit's kind of bringing righteousness, which is also kind of a synonym of justice. There will be peace in verse 17. Um, and I love this line. It, yeah. It's effect will be quietness and confidence forever, uh, which is just a kind of a beautiful way to sum up what a just world will be where it's, everything's quiet. There's no, uh, fear of people trying to scheme other people. Everything is confidence and trust in each other and in God. And there's this, there's no worry anymore, you know, and there's this kind of sense of that. And, you know, you, you're kind of meant to think why, why were these women trusting in wealth up above when this could be the case, right? You know, like women trusting in wealth seems good on the surface, but then you have this image of what the spirit will do, which is making the entire world like this. And you're not relying on wealth to kind of keep you safe, but you're relying just on the quietness and confidence of the world and each other. And that seems like a way more beautiful depiction of safety and security than relying on wealth, at least to me. Yeah, to me it is too. It kind of reminds me of, um, Back in Revelations where it talks about the new heaven and the new earth and the new Jerusalem about how every tear will be wiped away and there's no sickness, no disease. And we're eating from the tree of life. And it's like this this beautiful image. And I also like that even in comparison to the end of verse 15, 
um, where it says in the fertile field seems like a forest. So God is taking this good thing and making it even better than what it was before. And so mm. it's sort of like the idea of like even with um, that sort of prophetic thing about the end time of how the world will look once God accomplishes his purpose. It's like the idea that the Eden that God created in the beginning was really great. But now you have this new thing that God creates at the end of the book of Revelation that's even better than the Garden of Eden, which he created. So even though this good thing was sort of destroyed, it was like, well, the thing I'm going to create was better than what I originally created. And I think I see that here too. Oh yeah, no, that's how this whole passage ends, which I think is beautiful. It says, though hail flattens the forest, which he thought was beautiful basically Mm -hmm. is the subtext there. And though the city, again, remember I said the cities are all here, um, though the city is leveled completely, how blessed you will be sowing your seed by every stream and letting your cattle and donkeys range free. And so it's this sort of beautiful kind of end as though things are going to end things will also begin again. Um, And I I just kind of love that ending. I think that that's a great, um, as Ashley says, good newsy vibe (laughs) that uh, just brings us a little bit of comfort in our world today. And I think we could take a lot from just meditating on the rest that is promised here. And I will say, you know, I've, I've, I've moved away from it a little bit because a lot of times when people read the prophetic books, um, people try to be, uh, try to map it onto what's going on in our world today, basically. And so they try to say, oh, so the spirit's already come now. So we are we enjoying this now? Because it doesn't feel like we're enjoying this now, <laughs> you know? And uh, there, there, there is a question there. There is a question to meditate on is, yes, we believe the spirit has come right now. Um, and it doesn't feel like we're in a period of that type of rest and relaxation, you know, mm-hmm. and confidence. And I think that that's a question that we're meant to really wrestle with ourselves. You know, I think that's the question that um, we're meant to look at and create ourselves in a way. I think that you can find pieces of this in small Christian communities. I think you can find pieces of this in friendships with one another. I think you can find small little pockets of it in which I think that the heavenly new Eden is kind of breaking into our world. And so I wouldn't say that it's, just not working out i would just say that it's it's there it's just hard to find sometimes um and it's something to keep keep in mind is that there are pockets of this in the world so yeah i think that's a great place to end it on unless you have anything else ashley no i think that's it i think that's a really good point i think we can definitely find it even here and i think even moments Um, Where I feel like I'm losing that thing that I'm supposed (laughs) to have. I feel like that God always brings me back to it. Like there's never been a moment where I feel like I was losing like that joy or that peace and God didn't make an effort to bring me back into that, you know? Mm, so. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's very true. I do think that sometimes that story might involve stripping us of our finely woven garments and mm-hmm. us having to put on rags. But at the end, end of it is that we're clothed anew. So yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's a good point to bring up. So thanks everyone for listening and we will be back in your feed again next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Mm-hmm.